Hi, welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is episode 30 in the book of Hebrews titled, Faith, Looking to the Heavenly City, where we discuss Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12. I am Joel Harford, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, in the previous podcast, episode 29, we entered the Hebrews Hall of Faith in chapter 11. We talked about how faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then, starting with Abel, the author brings up a series of biblical characters to put faith on display uh, for these Hebrew Christians that he's writing to. Who do we see on display in verses 8 through 12, and what does this teach us about the life of faith? Well, we're going to look at the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, and how they lived uh, by faith. They lived in tents. And uh, we're going to look at Sarah also um, as a godly role model and example of a woman of faith. And we're going to see how it was by faith that they were enabled to do all the amazing things that God wanted them, them to do. And so he, the author of Hebrews is commending these famous Jewish role models. They were, they, these were their heroes. These were the people they thought about all the time and said, yes, fundamentally, these were men and women of faith, and so should you be. Hmm. Well, I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So my first question to you is about Abraham. How is Abraham a paradigm of faith for us Christians? Well, Abraham is cited as a, as a father, the father of uh, our faith. He is a role model of faith. Paul in Romans chapter 4 cites him as the paragon example of justification by faith. And he said he is our father in the sight of God, not only uh, of Jews who believe, but also of Gentiles uh, who believe, and both Jews and Gentiles who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had, Paul says there, where, when he was still uncircumcised. So there's a footsteps of faith. And the, uh, I think the author of Hebrews would resonate with that. It's like, what does faith look like in the physical world? And so here we're going to see Abraham leaving his country, leaving his father's household, leaving the culture and the place that he was familiar with and went to uh, an unknown land. And so his faith led him to take surprising and courageous steps for the glory of God. And so I think the author of Hebrews is commending Abraham as a man of action based on faith. So the first thing he says about Abraham is he obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. So what is the connection between faith and obedience? Uh, it's absolutely vital. There is, as Paul says in the book of Romans, the obedience of faith or the obedience comes from faith. Uh, if we genuinely believe we will obey the commands of the living God. Uh, I look on again and again, this has been helpful, it, it never fails to, to help me. Faith is the eyesight of the soul by which we see invisible spiritual realities, past, present, and future. So by faith in the present, we see who it is who's commanding us. We see the holy God, the king of the universe, seated on his throne, and he's telling us to do something. 
We don't have the option to disobey. We have to obey. So the more faith-filled we are, the more obedient we will be. Conversely, I always see disobedience as fundamentally, for me, fundamentally a failure of faith. It's not that I didn't know what to do. It's that I didn't believe God and trust Him. Yeah. And now, according to verse 8, he says, he went out not knowing where he was going. Mm-hmm. So how, why is that significant? Why does the author kind of highlight that for us, that he didn't know the place of his inheritance? Obviously, he was living in Ur and, you know, in the Babylonia area, but he didn't have a full understanding of the inheritance. Why does the author pull that out for us as a paradigm of faith? Well, I think it's just important for us to realize God is under no obligation to tell us anything other than just obey me and, and do X. We don't have to know what will come Y and Z or, or what will all the outcomes be. Just do what I say. He has the whole plan in mind. He understands the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He's the only one that does. Uh, and so for us, our role is to just clearly understand from Scripture and from the indwelling Holy Spirit what it is that God wants us to do. We don't have to be told why. We don't have to be told what all the outcome will be. It would be too complex for God to tell us all the outcomes that will come from an act of obedience. And so uh, Abraham did not know this land. He hadn't scouted it out. He'd never been there. He just knew what God was telling him to do. He did not know where he was going. He didn't know what the land would be like. For him, it was enough. Uh, just to trust the voice of God. Now, this is going to be very important later in his life. The pinnacle test of Abraham's life was the command that God gave him to sacrifice his only son. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, and go to the place where I will show you and there offer him, etc. Well, it turns out to be this place called Moriah, but he didn't tell him where he was going. It was, it was something that would be continually a theme in Abraham's life. Do what I tell you, even though you don't know where you're going or what the outcome's gonna be. So how can we apply this? He's being set up as someone we're supposed to imitate in the faith. How can we apply this in our lives? It's a very good question. I think some people might apply it, people apply it in different different ways because God has different callings on people's lives. I know, for example, for me, when I first broke away from my engineering life to go on a short-term mission trip to Kenya, that was a major fork in my road in the summer of 1986. And so I had to evaluate, you know, what, what God wanted me to do. And I didn't know what would happen when I returned from that 10-week mission trip. I just knew I was quitting my engineering job to go on a short-term mission trip. And that's all I needed to know. But God had provided a job for me when I got back. I didn't know it yet, but when I came back, uh, a brother in Christ who heard about me and my situation and that I wanted to go to seminary full-time provided a job for me. But I didn't know all that before the summer. I just needed to obey God and do what He told me to do. So that's a little example. Different people are going to be called to do different things. They just need to trust God and venture forth, though they don't necessarily always know where they're going. Yeah, that's really helpful. Now in verse 9, the author says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So Abraham didn't even become a possessor of the land when he was there. He's like living there, knows it's going to be his, but he only, we find out later, he only gets a, a very small possession of the land, the cave yeah. at the, you know, at Machpelah. The, the cave, yeah, that um, he has to dicker for. So why is that important for us as sojourners in this world to look at Abraham and realize that he never actually got to call that place his own home. 
Yeah. Well, in verse 8, he says that this place is the place that he would later receive as his inheritance. And inheritance is, is a future thing. It's something that comes at the end of someone's life. It, it only comes when the one who made the will dies, as we already learned in the book of Hebrews. And so uh, this was a future thing. And, and I don't want to steal the thunder from our next podcast, but, you know, these people died in faith not having received the things promised. And they saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And so it is for us. We're going to die. If the Lord doesn't return in our lifetime, Joel, we're going to die not having received the central promise of our life, which is eternal life through faith in Christ. We will have the eternal life now, but we will not have our resurrection bodies. We will not have seen heaven. We'll be going to a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, all of that that's promised. We've not seen any of it. So that's the fundamental pilgrimage of the Christian life. And we're going to make it. We're going to go through this world not having received in this life the things we're hoping for. We're hoping for another world. We're hoping for a future a city and a, and a country that is to come, like it says in Hebrews 11. So fundamentally, uh, it was vital that Abraham had to live in a tent and move from place to place and how he knew he was on borrowed ground all the time and how when Sarah died, he had to dicker with uh, the inhabitants of the land so he could get a little cave where he could bury his wife and then he himself was later buried there. And it was just a type and a shadow and a foretaste of him inheriting the whole thing. So that's the life of faith. Fundamentally, to answer your question, we have to live our lives like that in this world. Aliens, strangers, this place is not our home. Nothing in this world is my inheritance. I'm just using these things temporarily. I'm just passing through. Yeah, I remember when you were preaching through this section, and because you're a verse-by-verse expositor and we hit these themes week after week, it just was hammered home that that we are aliens and strangers. And it was powerful. It really changed the way I, I, I saw the world. I realized that... You know, we don't have to hang on to this little tiny piece of land that we have here. But, well, we're going to find out in verse 10, we're looking forward to something way better. So that's really helpful for, I think, every Christian to realize that this is not our home. Our home is the next place. It really does set us free, doesn't it? Set free from covetousness, from the enslavement of possessiveness and idolatry. Set free to serve God. Yeah. Now, verse 10, what is he looking for in verse 10? He gives us the answer. Well, it says he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder, what do you have there in the ESV? I have designer and builder Designer and God. builder. So you've got, you got the one who plans it and the one who builds it. So he's looking ahead to the city, and he says the city with foundations. So the implication is there's nothing rooted here. There's nothing permanent here. There's no foundations here. In um, Palestine, that's what you mean. No yeah. foundations there, yeah. Yeah, what, what he's saying in terms of in this world. And, and it must be that way because everything in this world is going to burn. It's all temporary. We can't sink you know, deep pilings into, in, into this world. Uh, I remember when I was a, a student at MIT, they were building a very tall building right nearby. And that whole area of Boston and Cambridge was a uh, back bay fill area. And they really needed to hammer the pilings down, down, down. You hear these, these cyclical poundings going deeper and deeper to find some bedrock where they could put a skyscraper. Um, and, and that's the idea of sinking foundations. And, and so he's looking for a city with foundations. And you're not going to find that in this present world age because everything here is going to be consumed with fire, Peter tells us. So he's looking ahead to something permanent whose architect or designer and builder is God. Now, isn't that provocative? That God has planned. He's like the urban planner for the New Jerusalem. He's the, he's the planner for the building that is the temple of the living God, the church. He is the architect and then he's the builder. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, in verse 16, it says, God has prepared for them a city. And it takes me in my mind to Jesus in John 14, where he says, 
um, that he's going to prepare a place for us. And if Amen. it were not so, he would not have told us. Amen. Amen. So, you know, I've been thinking about that. I've been listening recently to Keith Green's songs I haven't heard in a long time. And, and he's talking about, um, you know, that I can't wait to get to heaven is the name of the song. And he talks about, at the beginning, he gives this introduction, you know, that the Bible says that God made the world, the present world, in six days. And He's made the, he's been working on the next world for 2,000 years, and he just does a kind of a riff on that mentally. It's like, well, I mean, you know, if he worked on that for six days, and look at it, it's pretty beautiful, but that, that world's going to be incredible. Uh, I, you know, I understand what he's saying, but I think what he's been working on for 2,000 years is the church. The he's church, working yeah. on people. Bringing right? them out but, of darkness to yeah. light. Yeah. God can, in, in an instant, make the new heaven, new earth physically. He can just do that. It's not, not hard for him to do. But what he's been working on here is the story of redemption in people all over the world. Yeah. Let's talk about Sarah. Verse 11 says, By faith Sarah herself received the power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, we kind of go, to, go below the surface on this one because in, in the account in Genesis, when the men come and tell her about this time next year, I'll return and Sarah shall have a son, and she laughs. Mm. And it seems that she, she doesn't believe initially. What insight does the author give here into the life of Sarah after that moment and what kind of life she lived? Well, I think it's marvelous that the author to Hebrews gives us both men and women as role models. And I think it's just because our sisters in Christ will relate to a woman. And it's not that they can't relate to Abraham. They do, uh, of course. They can relate to Jesus as their Savior. No doubt about it. But there's just something special about women being able to get together with women. You think about, about Mary uh, when she's told that she would conceive, that she would conceive and give birth to, to Jesus. And the angel Gabriel says, oh, by the way, your, your relative Elizabeth is, you know, in her sixth month with John. And what does Mary do but go spend time with her and hang out with her? And they can be together. They've got a common experience they can share. It's probably the only time that two miracle babies and two miracle mothers were ever yeah. together at the same time, oh, right? Oh, what an incredible time of fellowship they must have had. And, and they did. I mean, some of it's recorded right there with Elizabeth's amazing uh, spirit-empowered uh, utterances. She, you know, she talks about the greatness of what John the Baptist and her womb will do and, and even greater what what um, Mary's baby would, would be. Um, but it's just beautiful that we have a number of women here, role models, um, but especially now we have Sarah. And you're right, it's strange. You read the account and it's like, it seems like she didn't believe. But there are moments like that for all of the great heroes. You know, it oh, seems, yeah. you know, Oh, definitely for Abraham. Abraham, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And so here's this woman, Sarah, and what we have is we have, but through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the author of Hebrews is telling us that it was by faith that she was enabled to conceive. So her faith in some way was related to the miracle God did in her body. Yeah, after probably after she laughed, she was convicted, and then she believed that God would do it. She wasn't she wasn't pregnant when she laughed, um, you know. But uh, shortly thereafter, uh, she became pregnant, and and it's it's marvelous. I think she was honestly, I think she was just thinking about the realities of it, you know, about married life, and and you know, shall I have this pleasure after my master is worn out? <laughs> He's an old man, and you know, I, I wonder if this is even possible. And you know, there's just something funny about it all. And they end up naming the baby laughter. Yeah, you know, it, it, yeah. there's just such a, a humor. So, but there's still that issue. It, it, there does seem to be a bit of unbelief there. But ultimately, the author to Hebrews is saying she was a woman of faith. And now I actually just don't understand it fully. I don't understand the relationship between her faith and her pregnancy. God could have made her pregnant without her believing. But there is in some way a connection between her willingness and her trust in the Lord and her becoming pregnant with the miracle baby. 
and it says since she considered him faithful who had promised mm. so she basically she, she banked on the promise of god For she sure. considered who he was and his character yeah and she said well if he says that i'm gonna I'm believe trust it. it fundamentally and, and let's realize also there's a whole nine month gestation period you know when she's pregnant and then she has to labor and give birth at age 90. So she has to trust God to uh, to be enabled to survive. Yeah, you know, for keep both her alive. to keep her alive and the baby alive, because their lives are intertwined until they're separated, and uh, and many women die in ch- childbirth, and so she has to trust God in order to become the mother of this miracle baby. Yeah, what does the author say in verse twelve, just as the conclusion? Well, you've got this one individual, this one man, Abraham whose body was as good as dead. It was, it was like he was dead. He's 100 years old. So some body, bodily systems shutting down. You know, I, I think it's funny that multiple times the Scripture says that. Paul says the same thing. You know, that might be kind of offensive to some older people. Yeah. <laughs> you ever thought of that? He's 100 years old, for goodness sake, you know. He says as good is, as dead. You know? Funny thing is, you know, he still had a lot of life ahead of him. He's 185, another, uh, does he look yeah, to? Maybe in the 70s, 173, something like That number sticks out. I, don't, I didn't look it up. But, yeah, I mean, he lived a good long while after this. But still, clearly, she thought that he was too old for this. He did, too. You know, he's wondering, how can this be? So this is a miracle. And so you've got from this one man whose body was as good as dead, look what came out of it. And so the, I think the author is pointing to look at all of the things that come from faith. If you will just trust God, you don't know what God's going to do. So he's exhorting these Hebrew Christians, who um, these Jewish professors of faith in Christ, who are under extreme pressure to forsake Jesus, to turn their backs on Christ, uh, so that they will not be incarcerated in prison, that they will not lose their possessions or even their lives or be tortured. Uh, they're afraid of all this, and then it's like, why don't we just have an easier life? It's like, no, 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 you don't understand what God could do. If you will just stand firm on Christ and trust him, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which someone took and planted in their garden, and though it's the smallest of all the garden plants, yet when it's fully grown, it becomes a tree big enough for, for birds to perch in its branches. And so that's what the life of faith is like. So from this one man whose body was as good as dead came, look what came, a multitude of descendants as numerous as the stars in the heavens and as countless as the innumerable grains of sand on every seashore. Look at all that's come. And we don't just mean biological descendants. We're talking about Joel, you and I who are Gentiles, but we are counted sons of Abraham by faith. So we're included. That multitude greater than anyone could count came because he trusted God. Yeah. What a legacy for Abraham. Amen. Well, do you have any final comments on these four verses? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think for me, this talks about a life of mobility, a life of energy, a life of courage and boldness to move out in the direction God's calling you to go. It could be an evangelism. could be a ministry that God's calling you to do. It could be a mission trip. It could be going overseas as a career missionary. It could be some whole new aspect of service to God and to others that you hadn't even thought of. But God is calling on you to make some sacrifices, maybe financially, maybe with your life or your time. Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob as well, who lived in tents, and they're mentioned in passing here, but these heroes of the faith were courageously living in a borrowed land, Um, as aliens and strangers living for the next world and being bold and courageous in this world. So that's an example to each one of us to be faithful to do what God has called us to do. Yeah, amen. 
Well, that was episode 30 in the book of Hebrews. Please join us next time for episode 31, where we discuss Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. And the title is Looking Forward to the Heavenly Country. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.